everybody, thank you for joining us today on uh, this weekend's message. If you haven't already, check out our website for ways to get connected here at Christ Community. And if you haven't already, make sure to like and subscribe uh, right under the video for more content. So hello, Christ Community. I am so honored to be a part of your spiritual journey today, your journey with Jesus. So glad you are here. Uh, just a reminder, I mean, we all know, but Easter is next week. Uh, and that means this coming week is Holy Week. So we have a Good Friday service that is always very, very meaningful. And then four services on Easter weekend. We're excited about what God is going to do in people's lives. Um, you can be a part of that weekend in a couple of um, simple ways. One is through some invites. We've created some Easter invites um, that are on the tables as you leave, also at the info area. And, and you can invite someone to come. People are open. Many, many people are open to coming to church. Just a simple invite you can give. We also have one for Good Friday as well. It's going to be about an hour-long service on, on Easter morning, and we're going to be talking about we're going to be concluding our journey through the book of John and just talking about experiencing Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. So that's one way, inviting people. Second way is by attending one of our least attended services of those four. One is um, the Saturday night service and then also the 8 a.m. Sunday morning service. Those are usually our least attended. And so by coming to one of those, you can free up space for um, the, the 9.30 and the 11. And then the third way is just by choosing to park in the Central High School parking lot. Um, we obviously have a little bit of a parking challenge here sometimes, especially on Easter. And so by parking at the Central High School lots, that frees up spaces around our building. So thanks for considering um, those simple ways to really increase the impact of next weekend. <clears throat> so about a year ago, we started this teaching series on the book of John. And so for the past 12 months, we've been walking through this amazing and impactful eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry. I, I feel like it's really been a significant journey for us as a church um, and that our love for Jesus has grown, which is really cool. Well, today we find ourselves in John chapter 21, which is the final chapter of the book. We're gonna take two weeks to explore this chapter, finishing our journey next week on Easter. So today on this Palm Sunday weekend, we're gonna be exploring John 21, but we're gonna be beginning in verse 15 and going to the end of the book. We'll look at the first part of this chapter next week. So at this point in the story, Jesus has been resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples a couple of times, but he has not yet really given them their marching orders for the future. So in, in chapter 21, it begins with Peter and some other disciples going fishing and Jesus shows up, does some amazing things, which we're gonna talk about next week. But beginning in verse 15, something very significant happens between Jesus and Simon Peter. And it has to do with this issue of failure. How does Jesus respond to people who have failed him? How does Jesus respond to us in our failures when we deny him or when we fall or when we give in to some temptation? What is Jesus' response to that? So that's, that's a really important question because so often when we fail, we get stuck in this place of shame, right? We can't really forgive ourselves. We feel like a, a second-class Christian forever relegated to the bench. 
<clears throat> but that's not how Jesus responds to failure. As we're going to see today, Jesus responds to, to our failures in a restorative and strategic way. So let's look at this passage in John 21. You may recall that a few chapters earlier in John, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples about his imminent suffering. And Simon Peter, in response, blurts out in front of everyone, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to him, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And that's exactly what happened. After Jesus is arrested, three separate people recognize Peter and they each one of them asks him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And each time Peter vehemently denies even knowing Jesus. This man who hours before said, I will lay down my life for you, is now disowning him. He's not even willing to admit he's a follower of Jesus. Now in Luke's version of, this, of these events, when the rooster crowed that third time, Jesus looked across the courtyard right at Peter. And Luke tells us that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He had failed his Messiah. He had not kept his word. He had let fear and self-preservation overrule his devotion to Jesus. And he had done so publicly. I mean, this is a significant failure. And Peter feels the weight of it, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, the feeling of being disqualified for any future ministry. And we all, we all know what that feels like, right? We all know what that feels like. After we, after we fail, we confess our sin, but we still carry this shame, this guilt, this disappointment in ourselves. We feel distant from God. We feel like our journey with him has taken a huge step backwards. But ironically, ironically, it is in this place of failure that Jesus can uniquely do some amazing and life-giving work in us, if we're willing. See, in the aftermath of our failures, there are two critical issues that Jesus wants us to explore with him, all right? The first crucial issue has to do with our love, our love. So often in the aftermath of a failure, we tend to focus on the surface behavior, what we did wrong, right? Oh, I messed up. I did this. I didn't do that or whatever. We, we focus on the surface behavior. But Jesus always urges us to look deeper, to look at the root, at what is going on in our hearts, which is exactly where Jesus goes with Peter. So look at the verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? See, no, notice where Jesus begins with Simon's love. Jesus is gently exposing the reality that at the core of every failure that we experience is this issue of love, who or what we ultimately love. See, when we fail, when we give in to some temptation, when we let greed or deception or self-centeredness or lust or whatever have control of our lives in that particular moment, 
When that happens, what is ultimately at the root of that decision is love. We are choosing to love something more than we love Jesus. So Jesus asks Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, what does the these refer to? Some scholars think that this phrase refers to the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Other scholars think that it refers to his, the fish and the gear and all that stuff, you know, Peter's former way of life. But here's the cool thing. It doesn't really matter which one it is. The open-endedness of this term means it could refer to anything in our life other than Jesus. See, Jesus is continually asking us, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than anything else in your life? Do you love me more than your reputation? Do you love me more than your money? Do you love me more than your security or your comfort or your appearance or your possessions or your sexual impulses or whatever? Do you love me more than anything else in your life? So how does Peter answer this question? Verse 15, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now this seems like a straight, a straightforward response, but there's something happening in the original language that isn't captured in the English translation. And I think it's important. When, when, when Jesus asks, do you love me more than these? The word that he uses is the word agape, a Greek word agape. Agape love often is, refers to the highest form of love, an unconditional sacrificial form of love. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. That, the word John uses there is agape. But when Peter responds to Jesus' question, he doesn't use the word agape. He uses a different word for love. He uses the Greek word phileo. Now phileo speaks of a brotherly love, a warm affection for another person. Both of them are powerful words for love, but it's a different word. So the question is, why does Peter change the word? Well, here's what I think is happening. Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me with the highest sacrificial, wholehearted love. And Peter, in his brokenness, realizes he can't answer that question in the affirmative. He just blew it a few days earlier. He didn't demonstrate that kind of love. So Peter is in this place of being humbled by his failure. And so in response to Jesus' question, Peter chooses a different word, phileo, which expresses a tender, brotherly, Affection for Jesus. I love you like a brother, Peter says. His love for Jesus is real, but his actions have shown that Peter's love is not at the level of agape. And so Peter's just being honest here, which is really cool. It's refreshing. Sometimes in our brokenness, this is what happens. Our heart softens and we, we have a, a, an honesty with the Lord, which is what's happening here. Now, what's fascinating is that Jesus doesn't stop with one question. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus again uses the agape word. Peter, do you love me with this highest, you know, form of love? 
Verse 16, Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter again uses phileo, the word for brotherly affection. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time Jesus switches to phileo. Simon, do you love me with a brotherly love? Verse 17, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So why does Jesus ask this question three different times? In fact, John says that Peter's feelings are hurt. Peter's feelings were hurt because of Jesus asking this three times. So why, did, why is Jesus doing this? Jesus always has a loving purpose to everything he does, even if we don't see it at the time. See, Jesus asks this question three different times because Peter denied Jesus three different times. So in a powerful and symbolic way, Jesus is publicly reinstating Peter. He is allowing Peter the opportunity to publicly declare his love for Jesus, one for each time Peter had publicly disowned Jesus. So this is not about Jesus pestering Simon Peter or publicly embarrassing Simon Peter. No, this is about Jesus giving Simon Peter a beautiful opportunity to declare his love for Jesus in front of the other disciples who had, they'd seen Peter fail Jesus. So what we see in this passage is that Jesus wants to leverage our failures, not by loading on guilt and shame, and not by beating ourselves up over our failure. No, no, no. In the, in the aftermath of any sinful choice we make, Jesus urges us to explore our hearts and to ask, why did I respond that way? What was I loving more than Jesus in that moment? My reputation? That's why I lied at work, because my reputation, I was loving that more than Jesus or my pride, or my own desires. See, Jesus doesn't ask this in order to rub it in, or in order to, you know, pester us. He doesn't ask us, ask us this question in order to condemn us. He asks us this so that we can get to the root issue and let his love fill our hearts again. So that the next time we don't bend the truth at work in order to look good in the eyes of other people. That next time we don't erupt in anger in the midst of a disagreement or we don't give in to some temptation. We instead, in that moment, we renew our love for Jesus. In that moment, we renew our love for Jesus and we experience a new strength to resist. I mean, this is what repentance looks like. This is what genuine repentance looks like. It's not just, oh, I'm sorry, I, I messed up. No, repentance actually looks within in our heart. We realize the root of what's going on and we, we, we reattach our heart to Jesus in that moment rather than the other thing that we happen to be loving. So our failures can become this powerful place to explore afresh this critical question. What are we loving more than Jesus? What are we, do you love me more than these? That's the question Jesus is asking all of us after our failures. And we then, like Peter, have the opportunity to re-express 
our love for Jesus, to align our hearts afresh with him being our first love. Okay, so this is the foundational place of genuine transformation where Jesus asks us, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Okay, there's a second significant heart issue that arises in this passage. First one had to do with our love. The second one has to do with our identity. Our identity. Look again at verse 15. But this time, I'm going to read these verses as one passage. And I want you to notice what Jesus calls Peter. Okay? Here we go. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, did you notice how with each question, Jesus calls Peter, Simon, son of John. Other than this passage, that name for Peter, or excuse me, that, yeah, that name for Peter is only, you, it's used only one other time in the book of John, the entire book of John. It's found in John chapter one, when Jesus first meets Peter. Jesus says to him, look at John 1 verse 42, look what he says. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. See, when Jesus initially meets Peter, he gives him a new name. He gives him a new identity. You will no longer be called Simon, son of John. You will now be called Peter. So throughout the entire book of John, John calls him either Peter or Simon Peter. But now here we are in the final chapter of this book, John chapter 21, after Peter's failure, and Jesus calls him by his old name. He calls him by his old identity, Simon, son of John. Why? Well, here's what I think is happening. When Peter was in the middle of failing Jesus, letting fear control his life and making bad decisions, he was living out of his old identity. He was not living out of the identity Jesus had given him. He was living out of his old identity, the son of John, which was an identity rooted in his earthly father and the calling that came with that, a fisherman. That's the only identity Peter had known until he met Jesus, okay? Now, he's met met Jesus, Jesus is bringing some of this up. up. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with his old, there's nothing wrong with him being a fisherman. I don't want you to hear that. It's not a right or wrong identity thing. There's nothing wrong with being a fisherman, but that's not what Jesus had called Peter to. So in this moment, Jesus is bringing to the surface Peter's old identity, Simon, son of John, and then he's interjecting and reasserting Peter's new identity. Okay, what was Peter's new identity? A shepherd of God's people. 
a shepherd. Each time Peter says, Jesus, you know that I love you, Jesus responds by saying what? Great, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take care of my lambs. I want you to shepherd my people. I am giving you a new identity. You are no longer a fisherman. You are now a shepherd of my flock. That Jesus is saying, look, Peter, that's what I'm calling you to be. That's the identity that I want you to live out from here on. Now, this is, look, this is so important. And it's, it's so important for me personally. So just a personal story here, but when, whenever, I, whenever I fail, whenever I give in to some temptation, I can almost guarantee that leading up to that failure, I was living out of my false identity. I was living out of a false identity. For example, for years, I lived under the influence of a false identity that was rooted in my performance. Even after be, being a Christian for years, I lived under the subconscious belief that my performance, my successes determined my value. They determined my identity. How well I was doing as a pastor or whatever determined my value. In other words, those things were my identity. Okay, so guess what would happen to me internally if church attendance was down one weekend or if giving was down or something or some ministry wasn't going well? I would have a little panic experience inside. Why? Because if my identity, if my value is dependent upon my, the success of this church and something is not going well in the church, that means I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I have to do something to fix that in order to feel good about myself. So see what's happening. I'm living under a false identity. So I lived under this, this I lived with this, under this constant pressure to perform, to excel, always striving to achieve, working really, really, really hard. And that's exhausting. Now that pressure, that false identity resulted in another impact in my life. Sometimes on my day off, when I wasn't at work, and when I wasn't on this treadmill of performance, my exhausted soul started looking for relief from the pressure that I was living under. And sometimes I would give in to some old temptations, just looking for relief from the constant pressure I was living under. Now, now, in, now in the aftermath of those failures, I would confess my sin, Sorry, God, you messed up, whatever. And then I'd say to myself, stop doing that. But then six weeks later, I'd find myself in the same cycle of sin. Why? Because my sin was being driven by my false identity. Are, we, are you tracking here? This is really important. It was being driven. It's not just, oh, just stop doing that. No, it was being driven by my false identity. My false identity of performance was exhausting me and then causing me to look for relief or acceptance in money or porn or whatever. But when I began to experience Jesus' love and really hear Jesus speak to me of my true identity, see, that's when the power of this habitual sin was significantly diminished in my life. See, as we look, as we think honestly about our areas of struggle or failure, 
Just think about an area you struggle with and sin or whatever. As, you, as we think honestly about our areas of struggle or failure, there are a couple of questions that I would urge all of us to ask of Jesus. Okay, first question. Jesus, what false identity am I living under? What am I looking to, to determine my worth and value? Who, who do I see myself as? See, this is such an important question. So often our sinful, destructive behaviors, they're driven by a false identity that we have subconsciously carried for years. Maybe someone laughed at us in front of a, cla a classroom of, people, of students laughed at us in elementary school or someone made fun of us and people were laughing and all that. So now, you know, we, we don't consciously think about this, but now we're just, we're living in such a way to make sure no one ever laughs at us again. Even if it means having to lie, to put on a, a, a better image than we really are or obsessing over our, opinion, our, our appearance or whatever. See, those false identities, they impact us. And so we need to ask Jesus, God, what, Jesus, what false identities am I living under? And letting the Holy Spirit bring those to mind. What old identities are, 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 are driving my life? A failure? I see myself as a loser, a poser, a people pleaser, an addict. I see myself as less than... See, what are the false identities that, that we're living under? And as Jesus brings those to mind, we renounce them. We bring them to the cross. We, 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 we bring them into the light. We bring them to the cross, which leads to the second question. Once we ask about our false identities, the second question, Jesus, what is my true identity? How do you see me? What a beautiful question to ask Jesus. Jesus, what is my true identity? Man, I would encourage you to start asking Jesus this question. Jesus, how do you see me? Well, what is my true identity? Ask him this question in your time alone with him. And then just listen for the things that he lays on your heart and write them in a journal. Because over time, I believe you will get a clearer understanding of your true identity in him just like he did with Peter. Simon, son of John, you've seen yourself as a fisherman, but I am calling you to focus your life on shepherding my people. I don't want you living in that false identity anymore. I am calling you to be my shepherd, to shepherd my people. And Simon Peter, he needed to hear that from Jesus. He needed to be reminded of that. He needed to hear that from Jesus, just like you and me. You and I need to hear that from Jesus. Who does he say you are? Every one of you has a unique Jesus-given identity. And what if you ask him what that was, what it is, what, how he sees you? That could be pretty amazing if we begin hearing from Jesus our true identity. There's a helpful resource that I, I, um, I found last fall. Um, it's a book called Living Fearless, 
by a guy named Jamie Winship. And if you're interested in exploring this further, check this book out. He walks you through the concepts and then he has prayer exercises at the end of each section um, where you get to ask Jesus these questions about our false identity, our true identity. So these two, these two heart areas of love and identity, they are huge in terms of our walk with Jesus. They're huge in terms of our walk with Jesus. And the irony is, it is often in the aftermath of our failures, it's in the aftermath of our struggles where we've given into some sin again, it is in the aftermath of those failures that we have a unique opportunity to explore with Jesus those two things. Rather than just, oh, I'm just gonna stop doing that. No, no, no. We we take the opportunity in the aftermath of a failure to, to explore our heart with Jesus, to explore what we truly love and to explore what identity we've been living under. So powerful. Verse 18, Jesus continues talking to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus is giving a a prophetic word regarding Peter's future. And then John interprets it as being a description of how Peter will eventually be martyred for his faith in Jesus. But I I love, I I love Jesus' ultimate command to Peter. Follow me. Follow me, no matter what the future holds, I'm gonna be with you. I just want you to follow me. I want you to live in my love. I want you to live in this new identity that I've given you as a shepherd to my people. Just follow me in this new identity. And that's exactly what happens. (laughs) It's so cool. It's exactly what happened. We see in the book of Acts, Peter stepping into this new identity, right? With courage and boldness and power and influence. It's amazing the transformation that happens when Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, fully embraces his love for Jesus and his Jesus-given identity. He's a new man. He is a new man. His shame, his failures don't define him. He is living out of the identity Jesus gave him. And the impact on the mission of Jesus is huge. In Acts chapter two, we see that on day one, as Peter is focused on feeding God's sheep, guess what happens? 3,000 people come to Christ. And this amazing thing called the church is launched. I mean, this is the guy who denied Jesus. (laughs) And now Jesus is using him to build his church, to build Jesus' church. Can you imagine what would happen if each one of us recognized the false identities we were living under and we renounced those false identities and then we began to courageously live out of the identity Jesus gives us? I mean, imagine that. What new ministries would start? We'd be like, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to do this. What dreams would we, would we be pursuing? How many hurting people would experience Jesus? Love? How many lives would be, would be impacted? How much joy would we experience? Because we're no longer living under this false identity of what someone else told us we were supposed to do. And we hear Jesus tell us our new identity and we start living out of that. I mean, I wonder how many, what what amazing dreams and visions are being shelved because we're letting our false identity run our life. 
We're letting what someone told us 30 years ago, you'll always be, we're letting words like that and other people's opinions of us shape our lives rather than living out of the identity that Jesus has, has for us. And every one of you, you are created in the image of God. You have a God-given identity that Jesus wants to reveal to you. But sometimes we, instead of, you know, instead of letting that happen, we're just letting past failures define us. When Jesus is saying to each one of us, there's an amazing future in store for you. I just want you to follow me. <laughs> That's it. I just want you to follow me. Okay. Now, all this is really great. Great. But we, we need to realize, we got to realize here, as we're talking about this identity thing, all that, there's, there's a very real barrier that often keeps each one of us from living out of our Jesus identity. And we see it happening right here in this passage. Look at verse 20. Peter, so after Jesus just told him all this stuff about his future, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. You see what's happening here? I love this passage so much. <laughs> I love this exchange so much because I can so relate to it. <clears throat> Jesus gives Peter his new identity right? And he urges Peter to follow him no matter what, even when it's going to be really hard. Well, Peter, he hears what Jesus is saying. And then he sees that his friend John is standing nearby. And so Peter asks, what about him? Is he going to experience something similar? I mean, this is so much our tendency as humans, right? Rather than embracing our God-given identity, we want to compare ourselves to others. And Jesus just nips this in the, this comparison thing. He nips it in the bud. He basically says to Peter, don't worry about my calling on John's life. If he lives to a ripe old age, what's that to you? I want you to follow me in the calling and the identity I have for you. Stay in your lane, Peter, stay in your lane and be all that I've called you to be. This is such wisdom. Amazing wisdom. And it's so important for all of us here and live in. Find out your true identity in Jesus and then live that to the full. Don't compare yourself to others and to what they're doing and wish you had their gifts or their calling or their looks or their sense of humor or whatever. No, comparison like that, it's a black hole. It robs us. Of, of, of walking in what Jesus has called us to do because we're always comparing ourselves to everyone else. And that's just a black hole. And that's why Jesus just nips this. Jesus says to all of us, you be you. You be you. Fully embrace who I've made you to be. Find your joy in loving me and following me in the identity that I've given you. And then just see the impact that this is gonna have in your life. Look, friends, your past failures don't define you. So stop letting them define you. Let Jesus define who you are and then just follow him. Amen. Let's pray together. Mm, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you for your word. 
to us in the midst of our struggles and our failures. Lord, thank you. So I want you to, as we're praying here, I want you to think about an area of struggle in your life. Maybe it's an area where you experienced some failure. Maybe it's a sin you committed years ago that damaged other people. Maybe it's a secret area of sin you struggle with in your life and perhaps you beat yourself up over that or, or maybe you carry this deep sense of shame about that. You feel like you are forever relegated to the bench in your Christian life. Okay, so maybe it's something that's had a significant impact or maybe it's something you're just kind of carrying. But I want you to think about that failure that area of failure. And in your mind, as you're, you've closed your eyes, I want you to just to imagine that you're sitting across from Jesus. And imagine that he asks you, do you love me more than anything? And what's your response to him? Are there other loves that have captured first place in your heart? Maybe things that you just need to confess to him. Just do that right now. Just acknowledge it. These other things that you've attached your heart to. And now can you honestly say to him, Jesus, I love you more than anything. I love you more than anything. Secondly, let's ask him another question here. Jesus, what false identities have I been allowing to drive my life? What false identities have I been living under? And as he brings those to mind, just renounce them. false identity to performer, gotta be in control, <laughs> right? Loser, failure, never enough. What false identities have you been living under? And then Jesus, I just renounce those. I renounce those. And now let's ask him, Jesus, what is my true identity? How do you see me? God, for each of us, we ask you, Jesus, what is our true identity that you give us?
Jesus, that's such an important question. We want to continually be asking you that question, and we want to hear. We want to hear from you these. <clears throat> and as we're hearing from you, God, and just have this, maybe we already know, and we, we know we've ignored it, but we know what our identity is in you. Lord, I want to pray as a result of that, you would awaken dreams and visions and desires and ministries and heartbeats and creativity. Lord, that you would awaken things that maybe we've put on a shelf because we're living under someone else's identity of us rather than your identity for us. And I just want to pray an awakening of those things, Lord. <laughs> and like Peter, just for the courage to not, our, not let our failures define us, but to live out of your love and out of the identity you've given us and to, to follow you in that. I pray you protect us from comparison, Lord. Comparing ourselves with others and all of that, wishing we had this gift or this ability or these looks or whatever. God, would you forgive us for that? We just, we want to be who you've called us to be, God. And I just want to pray for a joy and a freedom and just staying in our lane and following you in all that you've called us to do. And just the light, just bless the life that's going to come out of that place. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. And God, thank you for the, the time we have right now to worship you, to set our hearts upon you, not on our failures, but on you and who you are, God. So whether we're standing, sitting, kneeling, God, these next several minutes are just yours for us to love on you, God. We love you. We love you, Jesus. More than anything, God, <laughs> we worship you. So coming out of this message, if there's any way that we can help you, bless you, pray for you, we would love to connect with you. So I invite you to leave a message or reach out to us on the website. We have a chat box and we'd love to pray for you. And, you know, message aside, whatever's going on in your life, we would love to have that opportunity to talk with you too, because we're here for you. You're there wherever you are watching this message, but we would love to join you in what God is doing in your life. So that's it for today. Have a blessed rest of your day.